Would you join me in taking your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6 this morning? Hebrews 6. We started last week with a Christmas series, Hope is Here. And we dug into Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, as we saw the proclamation or the announcement of the coming, the planning for the arrival of hope. When we studied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 last week, we saw that the prophet Isaiah was giving the account 700 years before the birth of Christ would take place, that the light of the world would come and he would make an impact and a difference. And that promise of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace would soon come and change everything. And so at that announcement was the proclamation that the light is coming, hope is going to come. And now here on the other side of things, we look back and we celebrate the birth of Christ and understand that hope is here. Now this morning, we're going to continue by going to the New Testament. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that's going to give us some more insight on this topic of hope. And we're going to look at verses 17 through 20 and talk about an unshakable hope that comes from God. Would you join me in looking in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 6 in verse number 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunners will deck. So tonight, or this morning, we look at this passage of Scripture. We see the unshakable hope. Would you pray with me, Father? We ask this morning that you would give us guidance through your word. I thank you for the focal point of hope this time of year. Lord, I know there's a lot of things that are consuming our mind and our energy, our focus, And I would ask you that you would eliminate those distractions even this morning so that we could hear from you. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful hope that we have been promised. I thank you that we can live safe and secure in that. And so as we study this passage together today, would you challenge our hearts? Would you encourage our spirits? Would you bring conviction upon our souls that we might be changed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ? For it's in his name we pray this. Amen. The stories really are many. They could be told about hope that is gone. You may relate to one of these examples, or you may have your own story where hope seems gone. The story is told of the the kids are giggling in the background as mom and dad sit at the kitchen table. As they look across the table, hearing the kids playing and giggling and laughing, they look at the stack of bills with the amount of money that is so much more than the bank account tells. This is a pretty common task for them as they begin to go through line by line what's going to happen. It's then there's the story of to a place where it feels like all hope is gone. Then there's the story of a weary man who sits in the ICU room. He strokes the gray hairs of his beautiful dear wife. He can barely remember a day that he has lived without her. And they were married when they were young and have so many amazing and incredible memories with each other. As he leans forward to give her a kiss on her forehead, there is no response back from her. The doctors have told him to say goodbye. The husband is all out of hope. Then there's the executive, the big shot. He sits behind his desk in the corner office. 
His handshake is firm, his voice is commanding, but don't let this demeanor fool you in any way. That day, he found that his banker wants to meet with him and his accountant wants to quit. And Hope, well, Hope boarded a train for the coast and hasn't been seen for over a week. You all know the feeling. We all do. Even those who seem to have the attitude that looks at the cup and says it's half full or the sanguine souls that have as their cell phone ringer, the sun will come up tomorrow. The ones who are positive about everything, you still know what it looks like when all hope seems gone. Where do we turn? What do we do when hope runs out? I want you to notice again in verse number 19, it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast. Today, we see that hope is here. It is our unshakable hope. And what makes that hope to be unshakable is, first of all, it is unchanging. Notice in verse 17 and 18. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation or a strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We see here this unchanged, this immutability of God. When it says in verse 17 that he is giving this promise to the heirs, we jump back to verse 13 and we see that God made a promise to Abraham. This promise that was made to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3, the Abrahamic covenant that was made to Abraham and passed to Isaac and Jacob and then the, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, which would then would come into the, being the tribes. This is the nation, the Jewish nation, which the promise was being given to. This was a promise and covenant that Abraham would have to patiently endure until he gave this. God never went back his promise. But we understand that God never forgot his promise. God never went back on his promise. On Wednesday nights, we're studying through the book of Malachi, and we see that the children of Israel, 700 years after, or excuse me, 1400 years after the covenant had been made, the children of Israel began to ask the prophet Malachi if God really loved them. In Malachi chapter 1, God gave them the refresher. He gave them the reminder. And God, through the voice of Malachi, said, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? You see, the promises of God are unchanging. That's what gives us an unshakable hope. His promise was the very launch pad of his love. His promise launched his love as an extension to his people as well to the Gentile nations. And today we can have that same confidence that God's promises have always been unchanging and trustworthy. So the question becomes then what promises of God are you holding on to? What promises of God do you stand firm upon? What promises of God give you that unshakable hope? In verse 18, we see these, un, these two unchanging realities of God, His promises and His nature. We know the immutability, the unchangeableness of God. He cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you look at the result of those promises in verse 18, He says that because of this unchangeableness, because my promises are trustworthy and, and stable, they're unchanging, because of that, I've given you a strong consolation. The word consolation there is, a, is the word encouragement. 
He has given us a strong encouragement that comes as a refuge of hope to us. We know what a refuge is like. Uh, Brooklyn was bringing up even yesterday. She said, Daddy, you remember when the electricity went out? And uh, that's a big deal in our house. If electricity goes out, we, the kiddos just really don't like that. And uh, I said, well, which time? Well, that was the time, she said, it was the time when we got to play on the iPads when the uh, lights went out. And she said, and Nanny slept through the whole thing. And then I knew that was when Mom and Dad came over during Hurricane Irma, and Hurricane Irma ripped through, and Mom slept through the whole thing, and Bailey and Brooklyn were sleeping until the electricity went out. And then they were like, whoa, what's going on? So to help them uh, not be scared, they played on the iPad while Dad, Natalie, and I uh, shook in our seats wondering if we were going to be blown away. And uh, so I said, yes, I remember that. And I remember the feeling that we were in a refuge as the storm billowed through and as things were shaking and things were flying and things were falling apart. Cain, after our own lives, that there are times when we feel like it's just one hurricane after another. We feel like where in the world is the eye of the storm? Where is the calming moment ever going to come? And it is that time when we feel like we've got to find a refuge. And God says that refuge, that hiding place, that security is found in my hope. That strong encouragement comes. Charles Spurgeon described some characteristics of strong consolation or strong encouragement. He said, strong encouragement does not depend on bodily health. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful that my security, my stability, my encouragement doesn't come based on my bodily health or lack thereof. He says, strong encouragement does not depend on the excitement of public services and Christian fellowship. Too often, we are relying too much on each other to provide that moment, that experience, that emotion. If I don't experience that emotion in a worship service, then it must not be something I need to be a part of. If I don't gain that excitement of Christian fellowship, then I must not be doing something right. And too often we look into these areas to find our hope and our security. We look in each other. Will I gain security in my relationship with them? Will I gain some sense of encouragement by being in this worship service today? And too often we're putting everything on external entities instead of on the stable promises of God, the unchanging promises of God. We shouldn't be doing that. That puts too high of a task or responsibility on other people. Because the reality is, is people fail each other. People hurt each other. You realize that not every worship experience on Sunday morning will meet your criteria or meet your level of experience or excitement. Do you realize that your involvement of fellowship with the brethren may not every week meet your expectations? You may pull off property and say, nobody once asked about how this was going or what is going on in this area of my life. Nobody cared. Nobody cried with me. Nobody asked. And all of a sudden, our full encouragement and dependency come on outside areas that should not be. So this unchangeableness of God is where we find our hope. Spurgeon continues by saying, Strong encouragement can't be shaken by human reasoning. Strong encouragement is stronger than our guilty conscience. And then he gave us this quote. I read it. It's, it's longer than usual, but I, I, it was just so good. I couldn't edit it or weed it out. He said, 
It is a strong consolation, strong encouragement that can deal with outward trials when a man has poverty staring him in the face and hears his little children crying for bread when bankruptcy is likely to come upon him through unavoidable losses, when the man has just lost his wife and his dear children have been put into the same grave, when one after another all earthly props and comforts have given way, it needs a strong consolation, a strong encouragement then, not in your pictured trials, but your real trials. Not in your imaginary whimsy afflictions, but in the real afflictions and the blustering storms of life. To rejoice then and say, though these things be not with me as I would have them, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things ensure, this is strong consolation. Wow. There's so much to that, that quote for us to grab a hold of. But when it comes to the very climax of what he is saying, it says, though these things not with me as I would have them, how many are living life right now and circumstances are not a part of the script that you would have written, many of us could say, that's my life. And he says, though we promise, ordered in all things and sure. This is a strong encouragement. Another reason for encouragement, as the verse says, is those who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, a refuge of hope. Our unshakable hope is here, and it is unchanging. But number two, in verse number 19, we see that he says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So we see that it is firm it is the anchor of our soul, this unshakable hope. The anchor was a, a popular a symbol used in the early church. Uh, some 66 pictures of an anchor have been found in the ancient catacombs that would give good reference and understanding that this was an important symbol to the early church for some reason. Well, the Greek Stoic philosopher Epitetic, uh, Epitetus, I guess, uh, he wrote this, and he was dead wrong. He said, one must not tie a ship to a single anchor, nor life to a single hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.5, Paul understood this. He wrote to the church, the believers at Colossae, he said, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Then he would later write to Timothy, and he would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. So as believers, it is not that in life we try to find a multiple areas that we can tie our anchor to. We don't go downward with our anchor. We go upward and we put that on Jesus Christ. Too many times we try to place our hope in unstable things. Think about that. Relationships. How many of you, life's the joys of your life are anchored in a relationship you have here on earth. So that if that individual fails you, then life is over for you. Your world crumbles at the very core and you don't know what to do, where to go, and what to say. Because you're finding an unstable anchor in relationships. Or how about in our investments? 
nothing wrong with investments. It's wise and something that we should all be a part of. But, but is your anchor, your hope, and your security in investments? Is it in material stuff, in material things that we enjoy here on earth, things that we partake of on a, a weekly basis, things that we like to add to our, uh, to our possessions, those material items? Is that where we find our hope? We think that if I can just go and buy more things, my hope will be more secure or my joy will be more full or I'll find more stability. What about emotional areas of life? Is your anchor in your emotional stability? Well, I certainly hope not because we're very fickle by nature emotionally. We're up one moment and low the next. Life is grand and then life is bad. Things happen all throughout our day. And when that happens, we become a wreck because we put our hope and trust in a very unstable anchor called our emotional stability. And sometimes people are finding their hope to be in their health, in their bodily function of life and how they, how they go. It's good to take good care of ourselves. We need to eat right. We need to exercise. We need to do everything that I'm not doing at this moment in my life. We need to be doing that. But the truth is, is many times if we find our stability in our health, that'll quickly go away. Our knowledge, our self, sometimes others. Here's another one. Our church in our local church. We were talking to the group this morning in Discover Parkway. We're talking about our individual ministries, our ability to serve God, honoring God with our talents, gifts, and abilities, and being a blessing to others in the body of believers. But one of the most distracting elements in our life from keeping us to fulfill our ministry or our service to God and to others is the sense of obligation we have to serve God in order to gain his approval. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the past who said, I've got to do this so that God will be pleased with me. I have to do this so that I'll gain God's blessing. I have to do this because this is what a Christian is supposed to do. And all of a sudden, these outside distracting elements of motivation have become a focal point. That's why somebody will do 18 things within a local church. And they'll run from helping in the nursery to teaching a Sunday school class to ushering in the aisles to then meeting and greeting, following up, and then that's all taking place in the 11 o'clock hour. And what ends up happening is, is the more I do, the more I feel accomplished and approved by God. It becomes the wrong motivation. For we know and we learn through the scriptures that by our love for God and our passion for him motivates us to do nothing less than to give ourselves in service to him. And he shows and tells us exactly where to plug in. For some of you, you are great at first impression team. So you can greet and you can smile and you can welcome and you can bring people in, help them find a seat, sit with them, have conversation, and you have taken every fear and barrier they had and you have broken it down with just the look on your face and the very first statement. That's because that's how God has gifted you. There's some of you, we don't want you doing any of that, okay? <laughs> we don't. And we'll try to tell you as kindly as we can, okay? So don't put us in that situation. All right, You find out from God if that's you or not. 
But there are people that last night after the event, they were uh, tearing down tables, they were picking up chairs, they were sweeping floors, they were mopping, they were washing dishes, they were cleaning, uh, they were walking out with the moms, carrying gifts. They were doing things behind the scenes that needed to be done as an act of service to honor God and a blessing to others. You see, that's why God has gifted us. It's not so that the pastor will, will shout our, our, our accolades from the pulpit and say, this could not have happened without so-and-so. <laughs> you know, listen, don't, no, so stop, listen, that's not me, all right? And we think, well, I mean, I've got a lot to offer to the church. I mean, you got to plug me in, you got to use me. I'm sorry, but we might be moving, or I'm sorry, i got to stop doing this. I know the church will crumble, but you'll figure it out. Sometimes this spirit is about us. And that's not the spirit that God wants to use. And so we find here that with this, with our hope, where will our hope be found? It is not found in the local church. The local church is a gift from God. It's a called out, set apart believers to worship and to serve and to fulfill the great commission. But it's not your sole authority of hope. It's all going to come from Jesus Christ. And by the way, we don't need an anchor for calm seas, do we? The rougher the weather, the more important your anchor is going to be. Number three, in verse 19, he says, this anchor of the soul, which is sure and steadfast. And so number, two, number three, it is secure. Not only is it firm, but it is secure. Now, this letter uh, that was written to the Hebrews that we hold in our hand with this book, it was written to encourage Christians in a time of trial. It does so by focusing on the absolute supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. As you study from chapter 1 all the way through, you will see that Jesus Christ is supreme and Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is our all in all. And so while God spoke in the past many times and in many ways, studying through the Old Testament, He has now spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. And he has done it with an exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the very words, uh, by the very power of his words. When you look at the first part of Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that very thing about this direction of why this is important. It says in verse 2, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds." who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Those three verses right there, we could park for the next 10 weeks and study what the nature of God, which is unchangeable, and the deity of Christ that is listed here in this passage. Now, that is important. Why? Because that's where we find our security. That's where we find how we move forward. Jesus accomplished complete salvation for all who will trust in him. If you've never experienced God's gift of salvation, well, then you lack a firm and secure hope. You could say that is going to give us this hope that we can find great firmness and security in. But that hope that is unshakable does not come to those who reject Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. That's why when often I walk through the hospital wing and get in the elevator and I can see through the eyes of someone that is just searching 
for hope. They know that there's a loved one in a bad situation and they don't know where to turn and they don't know what to do. And the conversations always begin with the promises that God gives. It's the promises that He is sovereign, He's in control. It doesn't mean a magic wand can be sprinkled over somebody's head and all of a sudden everything is poof better. But it does mean that in the midst of storms, we can find great hope and security. Just spend a few hours with the Merrill family as they've been at the hospital for 29, 30 days now. And as Tricia is still there and, and trying to get better, and as we have the privilege to partner with them in prayer, you know in conversation that, that bodies are tired and minds are weary. And 31 days in the hospital is not the goal for tomorrow. But beyond all of that, you sense the hope they have in Christ alone, that he's in control and that he knows what is best for tomorrow. And so that hope overflows out of believers. So nurses are impacted by that message. Doctors are impacted by that message. People that they speak to are impacted by the message that their hope is not in medicine. It's not in a doctor. It's not in a CT scan. It's not in a bilirubin number coming up. Their hope is all in God as he's the one in control. And so our life is full of those type of ripples as well. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and don't have that personal relationship with Him, well, today could be that day of great transformation. It can be that day that you receive Him as your own. It can be that day you become a new creation in Him. Romans 5.8 tells us that God commendeth His love toward us. He demonstrated His love toward all mankind, toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That amazing thought. And then Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin is somebody has to die. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because John 3 tells us that it was God's love that sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. It's the substitute on our behalf. And verse 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to just condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. When Jesus came to this earth, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to preach the gospel. He came to give good news. And he came to give that life as a ransom for many. And so today, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So today could be that day of your salvation. Number four. And we're done. Verse number 20. What causes our hope to be unshakable is that it is through Jesus Christ. Verse 19 and 20. It says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made as the high priest. Our unshakable hope is found in Christ himself who entered into God's presence on our behalf. Understand what it's saying. In verse 19 and 20, Jesus entered into the area behind the curtain, behind the veil. In the temple, or in the even tabernacle, we had the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. In the Holy of Holies would be the yearly sacrifice that the high priest would come and give the sacrifice for atonement. 
it would be a sacrifice of forgiveness of all sin. And so as they would come every year, they would purify themselves and they would come and go through the veil as into the Holy of Holies to give this very crucial and important sacrifice. The high priest through the Aaron uh, line of, of, um, of generations, this high priest was appointed and he would come and he was to give that sacrifice. But then the old covenant... The Old Covenant said the yearly sacrifice must be made by the high priest on behalf of all people. But then the New Covenant changed everything so drastically. For Jesus Christ became that high priest that gave not a yearly sacrifice, but a once-for-all sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And when he gave that sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, you remember when he gave up the ghost, the veil torn in two from top to bottom, giving clear access that Jesus Christ, as our high priest, would now enter the Holy of Holies to pay the sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. And as he entered into that heavenly holy of holies, he took his place on the right hand of God the Father to intercede on our behalf as mankind today. And so we do not stand in a booth telling some priest, Father, our Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has already torn the veil in two and gone into the Holy of Holies once for all to make the sacrifice for all mankind. Can we give an amen and celebration to God and praise Him for that atonement? So this unshakable hope can only come through Jesus Christ. Jesus as our unshakable truth. And since no one can take away Christ from you, let remind us all that they cannot take away our hope. Do critics define your identity? No. Because God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That includes you. Can challenges exhaust your strength? No. Because we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You have access to the family fortune. Are you a victim of circumstances? Not in the least. Because when a believing person prays fervently, great things happen, James chapter 5. Does God have a place for small people of the world? <laughs> you bet he does. For God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Can anyone understand what it is like to live your life? Jesus can because Jesus is our high priest who is able to understand our weaknesses and with problems, well, you aren't alone. Jesus at the right hand of God is also interceding for your behalf, Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Can God ever forgive your failures? He already has. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Is the grave a dead end? Actually, it's just the opposite. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Will the sorrow ever end? Will the heartache cease in my life? Sometimes it feels as if it won't. But God has assured us, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Will you have the wisdom and energy to remain uh, for the remainder of your life? No, actually you won't, but the Holy Spirit does. We were promised when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, on that moment of salvation, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit who has endowed and gifted you as well as empowered you with his love. Life isn't fair, but it will be. 
because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Acts 17, 31. So an unshakable hope, where does it come from? It is through Jesus, and he was on the brink of death. Connie Ruth Christensen, she wrote this. She said, he knelt and made a promise that healing or not, his life was finally and forever consecrated to the service of the Lord. Christensen goes on to say that from that moment on, Scripture took on new life for Carter. He began to lean on the promises that he found and studied all throughout the Bible. He committed himself to believe whether or not God granted him healing. He was sold out, dedicated all to the service of God. Well, the good news is Carter lived with a healthy heart for another 49 years. His decision to trust Christ and to put his all in all in God in the midst of difficulties gave birth to a hymn that he wrote that we sing today. It says, standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Second verse is my favorite. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Build your life on the promises of God. Since his promises are unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. Hope is here. God, we thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, we have an unshakable hope. I thank you that it is unchanging, it is firm, and it is secure. And I thank you that today we can experience that anew, being refreshed in our hearts, being challenged in our minds to lean on those promises from you. So Father, today how you want to work I would ask that you will, that you would have freedom to lead in our life in these moments together. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name.